0: Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, the host of Animal Tales, and I'd like to welcome you to our new series, Dog on Good Information. I'm joined today by Tommy Fahey, my co-host. Welcome, Tommy.
1: Hi, Heidi. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you back. It's our third podcast, and uh, I'm really excited. I think we've got something good going here. We're getting some good feedback. So what about you? What What kind of feedback are you hearing?
1: Yeah, it's been great so far. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun for me just to have more often conversations with you because I always enjoy our time together. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've gotten a lot of good comments about what we've talked about and uh, kind of showing the different content that's out there. So yeah, it's been great.
0: Awesome, good. And uh, we, we have uh, so much to talk about still. Last week, we left you with positive reinforcement training, but the actual program called Operant Conditioning. Tommy created a graph.
1: There's a <laughs> lovely chart.
0: Very, uh, chart, yeah, he was very proud of it. It's on social media in uh, Heidi Harriet's <laughs> Animal Tales, and so check that out. What I liked about it, Tommy, is you made it relevant. You put actual. Uh, this is this is the behaviors that you're looking at. So yeah, and what we're going to do today, in just a little bit, when we get to our main segment, we're actually going to talk about uh, a little bit more about training. So there's some other programs out there and what we're trying to do is help listeners understand when they're reading ads from dog trainers or certainly on social media, people are piping in on kind of co-opting other people's posts like some, some gal goes on and says, my dog's doing X, Y, and Z 400 comments later with a lot of dog trainers and a lot of, you know, would be uh, comments and from snarky to helpful and in between, that part of this podcast is to help you sort out what that information is all about and uh, like help make up your own mind. Again, the hmm, be curious, be thoughtful. So, the uncomfortable middle. The uncomfortable middle. That's where the information lies. That's where the tra- training programs lie. That's where all of it uh, lives. And you and I have talked about that. And you did a perfect uh, wrap up last week of talking about anthropomorphizing and saying to me, which I thought was funny, we talked about that this week, it's not, I'm not going where you think I'm going, Heidi, because you know exactly. me well. And what you did is say, we shouldn't be doing it on a, on a scale of one to 10. We shouldn't be doing it on a 10, putting human emotions on our animals. The first thing that comes to mind when you said that, I didn't have a chance to say it last week, and the horse community will appreciate this, blanketing our
1: horses. If, oh, yes. if
0: I'm cold, my horse must be cold. 100%. Yes. And <laughs> boy, you want to have a discussion about horse blanketing, as uh, Christina Hansen, the New York carriage driver, said in my podcast, Animal Tales podcast. You want to start a fight, talk about blanketing horses.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> but if I'm called, my horse must be called. And there's such a funny meme on Facebook of a horse with like three blankets, like a little kid in their snowsuit, standing there, like can't move. And another horse, all furry haired, a cartoon running up to it. And he goes, uh, the horse without the blanket says, what's up with you? And he says, my mom was cold. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think about that. And we do that with our pets too. I grew up with dogs who were, my dad refused to allow air conditioning in our kennel.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
0: it's a different day now. And again, I'm a generational animal trainer, three generations. My my grandfather, some of his relatives, my father and mother and all my sisters. And of course, all of our peers and all these amazing people who have trained animals that I've gotten to watch. But for whatever reason, and again, I'm old enough, this goes back into the 60s, uh, that my dad did not want our kennels certainly not the horses but even the dog kennel because my mother had uh performing dogs and exhibited dogs it was great uh but not to air condition them and fans absolutely good ventilation you know Uh all of that and yeah and I think it's a different day now my dogs live in the house and so they are in air conditioning but I'm always thinking about that you know being mindful of that And, uh, but it was a time when not all people had air conditioning too. I grew up in Wisconsin. Houses didn't have air conditioning. So there was, there was that element. And then when we were mobile, you had to trust your power, which I see in campgrounds all the time on threads. Like, how do I ensure my dog, if I go out visiting the sites that my power is not going to go out and my trailers, my RVs all closed up and my dog's in there. Right.
1: Yeah. Exactly so, what happens when things go wrong
0: Yeah, they're a really cool um, I'm segueing into something I didn't plan to but while I'm there, there are really cool <laughs> uh, plugs they' they're a uh, vol- voltage me- protector uh, surge protector uh-huh. couldn't think of that word. but they're also Bluetooth so you can actually uh, or go online and actually look at them and see if your power's on. So oh, that's, interesting. yeah, okay. that's giving a lot of people some comfort. And, uh, for me, I just always leave a window open. Yeah. I figure worst case scenario, there'll be some air and the lower to the ground, the better that the animal could get to it. Or my little dog will jump on the table. Not supposed yeah. to, but when, <laughs> when mom's away, the dog will play. Uh,
1: so, uh, so I'm funny. You mentioned that, the not having animals and air conditioning. Um, so We've talked about my history a little bit and uh, how I got into entertainment. But very early on in my horse career, uh, I was started riding when I was eight years old.
0: Little Tommy, I, how cute. I can just picture just it. Baby. I want to see a picture. <laughs>
1: I'll find one somewhere. Uh, but I grew up uh, just north of Branson, Missouri.
0: Ah, love Branson. And
1: so, a big uh, community, uh, theater community down there. And so the farm that I learned to ride at kept horses for some of the shows uh, in Branson. And there was a comedian that we would haul a horse into Branson every day. And the comedian would ride the horse on stage for just a very short, you know, three or four minute. Yeah. uh, Little bit that he did. Um, And the horse started, we had one horse that did it. He was amazing. Um, And he started having some problems in the heat during the middle of the summer. And we couldn't figure out, why is he having this problem? The horse. The, the horse was having a problem.
0: Okay, not and the he comedian wasn't sweating
1: <laughs> appropriately, um, and having some like respiratory problems. Uh huh. Well, come to find out, the guy that they had hired to haul the horse down to to Branson every day was taking the horse into the theater backstage and letting him just stand in the air conditioning. And so, for instead of going on stage for five minutes and then back to the trailer and back home. He was going and hanging out for an hour backstage in the air conditioning Uh. and it was getting him chilled and then he wasn't acclimated to the heat. Yeah. So it was this uh, problem that we don't think about um, and and because we're so acclimated to having air conditioning and being able to get out of the heat, um, we we think that that's just kind of the normal, but really if you just stay out in the heat, in the weather, you get acclimated to it and it doesn't bother you near as much.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you know I, I, it's a great story, Tommy. I didn't know that uh, and I kind of just went way off track with that the, my, <laughs> my uh, intro. but it, it is an important thing and with dogs too, again, uh, my dog my new dog Otis is the standard poodle that I just uh, just came to live with me. He's got a new home. He doesn't know anything. He's a riot. He's three years old. I always tell people it's like the movie The Little Mermaid. When she comes, uh, she gets uh, lands on shore and gets her legs. And she's looking around it like, what's a tree? What's the sky? Otis probably it didn't come from a great scenario. But I think he was probably inside, you know, in his own kind of pen. And uh, <laughs> he literally stands outside. His mouth open and looks at the trees oh, and looks wow. at the sky. Uh, but he likes to hang out. I have a really nice deck. I have a great setup for dogs. We have a pretty good size fenced yard, uh, but not so big they could go hide. And uh, so he likes to hang out on the deck and I have a fan out there. He, even the fan, he doesn't know what to think of it, but I'm just <laughs> like, you're fine. I'm, I'm very matter of fact about that stuff. And that's some of the stuff we'll talk about in dog training because people get too tentative. And he's, Mm. he's really bouncing off of my energy now. Like, are you sure, Heidi? I'm fine. You're fine, Otis. Really? Okay. Okay. I don't know, Heidi. Okay. You know, that's kind of where his head's at, but it's better than just fleeing and, you know, he's inquisitive. I'm making him inquisitive. And that's exactly like, wow, what is that? Instead of like, oh God, what is that? But he likes to hang out on the porch. So I put the fan on and it's where I'm in Florida It's been very warm, too warm for my taste, but I can't complain. We're full of visitors because the weather's (laughs) eighty degrees and gorgeous. Uh but
1: You can come to Missouri if you want.
0: (laughs) I love Missouri except in the summer. Uh so anyhow, he's in a fan he had the fan on. And I'm completely fine with that. He's a poodle, but he has real short hair and uh you know again. I, if I think he was really uncomfortable, you know, I'd even hose him down if I needed to, but he's actually fine. He's in the shade. And so it goes back to my childhood of just, you know, and and what we've talked a lot of, a lot about on here, best practices and you know, the information to take the best care of your animal. And um, w- within that, we're gonna get into, again, talking about training for another segment. Delving into the training programs and methodologies that we see out there, and um, we'll we'll always do that. But we're going to spend our the main segment of this podcast on that. So if you're just uh, tuning in, I'm Heidi Harriet, joined by my buddy Tommy Fahey, the Dog on Good Information podcast, and we're just bantering around about stuff going on in our lives and the animals, and uh, we're getting ready to talk about another type of training program. In addition to operant conditioning, there's something called Lima. So we'll get into that in just a moment. So anything interesting from your week uh, training animals, Tommy?
1: Yeah. So I have actually a a really fun thing coming up this weekend. I've been involved in a study with horses.
0: Um, Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think i told you a little bit about this. Yeah. So here in Springfield, Missouri, we have the Valley Watermill Equestrian Center. And that's a beginner riding program owned by the Springfield Green County Park System, so it's uh, you know government owned and operated. And they partner every spring with a local veterinarian, uh, Dr. Stacy Huntington of Springfield Equine Services, and we come up with some kind of presentation to do to the public, um, generally about horse care. Um, sometimes it's a lameness discussion, sometimes it's an exercise discussion. Well, this year we've gone off the deep end a bit. Oh. So, was this
0: your idea? Uh, we, Let me guess. <laughs> it was not. I was, okay. I
1: was brought into this after the fact. <laughs> um, I just got to execute it.
0: Oh, good. Um, they so, picked the right person.
1: Of course. Yeah. I'll make it happen. Uh, so, the, the idea is that we took six of their lesson horses, and their a variety of ages, breeds, confirmation types, personality types, history of training um so we took six of those individual horses and we came up with a uh a a methodology of exercises that involved uh core strengthening exercises stretching exercises and proprioception exercises um so things like uh walking over ground poles and uh being lunged with a uh, elastic band that helps support their thoracic sling um
0: That was a mouthful.
1: (laughs) The big science terms, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then uh, everybody's heard in the horse world of the carrot stretches Uh where you ask the horse to come around and get a treat. So our, our concept was if we do this, uh, you know, in a a methodical approach, can we see any actual improvements and actual changes? So we took the six horses starting January 1st. And so three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They each did 22 behaviors, and then we scored those behaviors and tracked every day their individual scores, Um, and we did it over 10 weeks. So we just finished last week, and we present to the public uh, Saturday. So what we came up with were over 4,000 data points that we tracked about these individual horses, Um, and then observations from the instructors that are using the horses in the program, um, and then the veterinarian that's uh working along with us, evaluating their progress as we go. Um, and it was really interesting some of the stuff that we came up with, um, some of the data points that we tracked. So all of the horses for about the first three to four weeks, um, it was chaos. There was no real progression, it was sort of all over the place. Um, some improved on some things, some didn't. Um, but it was January. January in Missouri, the weather is all over the place. Yeah, We had warm days, we had cold days. So we tracked the weather and we started finding correlations between extreme weather changes and then their ability to do the work that we've asked them to do. So a lot of them became less flexible on really cold days, which makes sense. (laughs) Um, Works for me. Yeah. Um, But then we had a Norwegian fjord, which is a little uh, pony breed they're built to be in cold weather she was affected not by cold temperatures but just extreme fluctuations
0: wow interesting yeah
1: if it got cold and stayed cold she was fine Fine. no problem but if it changed quite a lot then we had a lot of problems Um, and then we had another young horse Um, he's the youngest in the study and the least trained and he's an arabian saddlebred cross Oh. Uh, so he's a little hot. Um, I would describe him as uh fearful. His his whole world outlook is, oh my god, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he actually made the most progress out of all of the horses because he started off just worried about the entire world, you know, was scared to just be in the barn. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also the most affected by external stimulus. So weather changes, uh changes in his handler. Um, so we had three or four different people that helped out doing these exercises every day. Um, and it when it was a new person, he didn't do as well. Um, and then there was a day where um it was raining with a lot of wind and it was just kind of a, a general thunderstorm here in southwest Missouri that we get. He absolutely refused to do to do the carrot stretches.
0: Oh, interesting. It's just,
1: the treat did not have enough value for him to bother with the stretches. Yeah. So his scores kind of tanked on that day. Um, but anyway, so we tracked these six horses over 10 weeks, found over 4,000 data points, um, and now I've made all these charts and graphs to kind of show the differences. And then on Saturday, what we're going to do is have the before pictures and videos of their behaviors and then their confirmation photos. And then we're gonna show them live in person and show the changes that they've developed.
0: Wow, that's really Uh, cool. Is this gonna be, will this be online anywhere? Is there anywhere? We're we're not gonna do it online.
1: We don't, we're not that advanced in our technology at this point. Um, But it is something I think in the future, we may uh, try to record, uh, because we do these every spring.
0: Well, maybe Uh, even summarize it online at least. And if so, I know you'll share that through Tommy Fahey horsemanship, right? correct okay yeah so we will cool. uh, for
1: sure i'll get some pictures and videos uh video clips from this weekend and then we are trying to write it up as much like a scientific paper as we can sure um and then hopefully maybe somebody will pick it up and maybe expand on it um and track it instead of over 10 weeks maybe over you know several years and see you know what really affects horses um It's,
0: it's, that's a great lead into, uh, going into our main topic, which is training. And, uh, you and I have been talking this week about which, which we have in the past and we just turned it into a podcast, but, uh, (laughs) training and you just, you just, uh, kind of ventured into that with the, the last horse you were talking about. And I just mentioned my dog Otis. So, uh, three years old, never been trained, doesn't know anything, so it's all a new experience, and I can either make that allow him to feed on his fear or make that a new kind of fun or be inquisitive experience. I exactly. never thought of it in those terms. I was training a puppy last year. Oh, my gosh, a little Pomsky, little beautiful white, looked like a miniature husky with blue eyes.
1: Oh, uh, cute. But
0: really cute. Indigo, and she was a board and train And I've never had a dog that was so inquisitive um, just from the get-go. And I do know a little about huskies. I know they can be a little bit of the, and they like to talk as well. But uh, instead of being forward, sometimes they'll they'll stop and think. If she got confused about something, and I'd love to take credit for this, and I may have with the mom, I don't remember. But (laughs) (laughs) if she got confused, she would stop and think. She would sit herself down and... Like cock her head a little. Uh-huh. It was amazing. And I, of course, uh, absolutely expanded upon that, you know. So <clears throat> I want to talk about, uh, get into the training. So last week we talked about operant conditioning. And it was, it went along with uh, my first pet peeve. We have a section segment we called Pet Peeves. I train with positive reinforcement. And I always hear this. You heard me, my voice change. I can't help myself. I hear this emotional voice because I don't, I guess I'd want someone to show me how they could train only with positive reinforcement because in my mind, I'm seeing a dog that's taking, I have to start all my animals on a leash. If it's a, if it's a horse, it's on a lead rope and a halter and I walk it and it has to walk with me, stop with me, move with me, turn with me. That's the beginning. A dog, exactly the same thing. So Otis doesn't know anything. We go for a walk every day. God bless my husband who likes to walk. We go together. And uh, Otis is learning so much. Um, But I can tell you that I actually tug, I have, have pretty good hands because I'm a rider, horse rider, so i'm when I tug, it can be light when I say tug mm-hmm. and release. For me, it's like a finger as as light as the tug of a reins on a double rein bridle. So,
1: in the horse world, we call it a half halt.
0: there you go. So I call it a tug and release
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> even in even in the horse world because, as you know, I'm not formally trained. So <laughs> that is a positive punishment. I'm adding a uh, stimuli, which is a tug a consequence on the leash. So I don't know anybody who doesn't do that. And to that extent this week, I was reading some posts. You wanna be entertained or get frustrated, go on Facebook, right? So like I said, one person will post an innocent comment and 400 comments later, or post and 400 comments later. But one of the trainers who I kind of follow and I like, uh, is like-minded to what I think uh, said, but wait a minute. Putting a collar and a leash on the dog right there is creating compulsion. So oh. I, I, I haven't talked to you about that, Tommy, but really caught my attention. So um, let's just review quickly, operate conditioning, then we'll talk about the others. So give us the short version of your graph, Tommy.
1: I'll, I'll try <laughs> to do it quickly. Uh, so we have four quadrants, positive reinforcement, Negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and then negative punishment. And the thing, the key things to remember are it's a scale right to left. Positive or negative. Positive and negative do not mean good or bad. It's mathematical terms. Positive means add, negative means subtract. Okay. I love so that. That's your scale left to right. Yep, and now you have up and down. So at the top of the scale, as we go up, we're trying to make it reinforced. We're reinforcing a behavior, we're making the behavior more likely. Going down the scale, we are trying to extinguish a behavior. So we're trying to make that behavior less likely to reoccur um, and, and have it go away and not come back. So what people get wrong there is we think it's good or bad, Um, and then they hear reinforcement, which sounds good, or they hear punishment, which sounds bad, but you need to replace punishment with extinguish because that's what we're trying to, to have happen in the behavior.
0: Okay, great. And then, um, maybe give one of the, or two of the examples, please.
1: Yeah, so Excuse we me. have uh, what everybody likes to to hear is the positive reinforcement. And there, let me just review and say there's nothing wrong with using positive reinforcement. Yeah, there's a time exactly. And a place. We're
0: not saying that. It has, yeah. it
1: has merit. We're not saying don't use it. All we're saying is there's an entire scale here and a bigger spectrum of training.
0: Called uh, operant conditioning. Operant conditioning. Which is a training methodology theory that... Again, and I said this last week, I just want to cut in here. If you look up operant conditioning and you don't put down dog training, you'll see it applied to people because it's how we raise 100%. children. Yeah. So yeah.
1: go ahead I with some about examples. Oh. <laughs> how, how it was used on us. Um, I was telling my mom about the, the podcast and discussing it with her, talking about operant conditioning. And this may give you a little uh, in, insight into my psyche a bit. But she said, Oh yeah, I did that when you were kids, (laughs) when you were in trouble, I would ask you, do you want positive punishment or do you want negative punishment? And it was really interesting, right? She was, I could do positive reinforcement or I could do positive punishment. And so she would give us options in the way that she would handle whatever correction. we. Oh, I like that. (laughs) That's good. So there's where the science started. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so as far as examples, though, of each of the quadrants, we have the the positive reinforcement, which everybody likes, which is the dog does a behavior, like sits, and they get a treat, or they get a good boy, something positive that they like. To the left of that, you have a uh, negative reinforcement. Okay, so negative reinforcement means we're taking away a stimulus to reinforce the behavior. Okay, so I'm pulling up my chart now so I don't get this wrong because <laughs> I don't want to uh, say the wrong thing in the wrong quadrant. Um, but so negative reinforcement, we're taking away the stimulus to reinforce the uh, behavior. And so what we're doing is, uh, let's say the, um, the, the mailman comes to deliver the mail, the dog is, uh, barks at the mailman because it's a new person in the environment and he doesn't want him there. The mailman delivers the mail and walks away. He has negatively reinforced the dog barking. So in the dog's mind, he thinks he has chased the mailman away and he's going to do it again and again and again.
0: And we have and a great example of that last week <laughs> with, Jimmy with Jimmy Dean. With
1: Jimmy Dean right on cue. Uh, okay. So we've done positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Now we have positive punishment. So that would be, you're adding a stimulus to extinguish a behavior. So if the dog lunges while he's on a leash, your choke chain would engage. That's a punishment. That's a a stimulus the dog doesn't like. It's gonna make the the behavior, which is the lunging less likely and eventually extinguish the behavior. Okay, and then we have the last is negative punishment, which sounds horrible and terrible, but in reality, it's not all that bad. So the example I gave is a dog jumps on a person. So you come into the room and the dog's excited to see you and they jump on you. So the behavior is jumping. If the person turns away and does not interact with the dog, so they just remove their energy, take themselves away, then the dog is less likely to jump the next time. So the behavior was the jumping. The stimulus is the person removing their interaction.
0: Gotcha. So, okay, good. Some odd sound there. I felt like that was aliens for a moment.
1: There's a motorcycle running by. the... Oh, the that's what it is.
0: I like the alien <laughs> right <here>. theory better. <laughs> okay, yeah, <I'm, laughs> Let's we'll, we'll go with that. With <laughs> um, so, yeah, and and the reason we're spending some time on this is because we're just trying to get people again to think and. In, be more thoughtful be more inquisitive and i i am thinking about this i've been thinking about this for months um i'm a dog trainer and a horse trainer i do a lot of foundation training it's really important to me best thing you could do to secure the well-being of your pet for life is train them they have to have a great foundation preferably some more training than that and you have to maintain that those are not the animals who end up in harm's way if they do end up in a shelter uh, they will be the ones who will be, uh, you know, adopted more quickly, because you don't have Easy a crystal. Yeah, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what's ahead for you in life. And yes, get an animal. Assume you're going to have it for life. So that's why this is so important. But no trainer is going to stand up there and say, "I train with negative reinforcement or negative punishment or even positive punishment." So I, th- I feel like the clientele have kind of started demanding that we say we train with positive reinforcement. So if that happened to me, I would have to explain to them. I probably wouldn't go into a depth of operant conditioning, but I do think it's important. So I, I wanna, we're gonna keep that theme going. Now, another program or methodology or theory in training uh, is called LIMA, least intrusive, minimally aversive. My challenge with this is, I think it it, Lends itself better to operate. It's certainly to operant conditioning. It allows for the aversives, if you will. And again, saying that mm-hmm. makes it sound like it's a bad thing. Aversive. I just never think of training in those terms. Uh, but real quickly, my principles of trainings are safety first. Make sure you're you're getting ready to work with the animal in uh, with it, the animal, the species in mind and its capabilities. Right. So then mm-hmm. it's uh, safety first, patience. Then it's repetition, consistency, and clarity. I repeat the commands over and over. The commands are clear. I'm very consistent. I reward, good boy, good girl, pet them. I'm not a big treat trainer, occasional treats. I don't want them salivating for the treat. I want them to be thinking. Discipline, Mm -hmm. the word discipline is in my principles of training. I, instead of saying, punishment or whatever, I just grew up with the word discipline, which is usually a great word to be disciplined is amazing, right? That means we've achieved a higher level. So, but a discipline could be, eh, quit, mom, look, little tug on the leash. So I've never, I've never put it into the operant conditioning buckets, but that's my training and then progress. This is where my dad was a master and I feel like moves me ahead of the, the pack because, and you and I talked about this, we train with the end in mind because exactly. we have the benefit of knowing what that could look like. And so um, I was taught to set the bar very high and bring the animals up to it. We tend to lower the bar to meet the narrative right now. Sit, okay, doesn't wanna sit consistently or won't sit there. Okay, we'll sit over here. No, yeah. I, I, not only are we gonna sit there, we're gonna take that to the next level. That's where my head goes. Mm-hmm. And the animals totally come along. And when you, when you add that in, that helps. So now there's a professional couple of professional dog training uh, associations, and I should probably join those. I think about that; it would give my clients some comfort level, and I could, you know, interact with my peers. I am a American Kennel Club Canine Good Citizen evaluator, and I'm really happy about that. Great training program. I'll put in show notes to get a foundation on your animal. But the Lima is is it seems like at face value interesting um and Tommy and I are sharing we've shared a document this week uh coming from one of the dog training uh professional dog training associations and um it's least intrusive minimally aversive so you want to focus on the positive but yet when it goes on as i think you said it excellent Tommy that it it's a persuasive article instead of just laying out the mm. facts it's trying to persuade you and the very last line in this really kind of troubles me. And really one of the reasons I haven't joined the professional dog training associations, because I get stuck on these things. And uh, so this is the, the, the last line of the, the four page document changing behavior is best understood as a study of one. I guess I feel like I couldn't disagree with that more as I've thought about it over the week because I think we base behavior on scientific studies and um, uh, groups of animals going through studies or people or whatever it is and that's how we get our baseline so how would I know about the behaviors if I didn't have some baselines or some information Mm -hmm. that's already out there I always think of behavior is a study of many so that we can then with best practices, expertise, knowledge, um, figure that out, kind of work through that and find it. So I want to let you uh, chat about this for a minute, this Lima, because it's it's interesting. It's It definitely leans more towards what I go for.
1: Yeah. So the, the document that Heidi referred to, it's coming from, The Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers, CCPDT. Um, And so we found that online and it's on their website. We could probably share a link to it so that you can see the information that we're actually referencing. Um, But to Heidi's point about the the wording, um, it goes back to what we talked about last week is connotation and denotation. And... (laughs) we sort of live in this world where we sugarcoated a lot of things and nobody wants to say kind of what's real. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, except Tommy and
0: Heidi, that's what we're doing.
1: (laughs) And we'll talk about what's real to us. Um, Exactly. So I I have kind of a theory that goes along with this line and it's the difference in nice versus kind. Oh, I like everybody wants you to be nice. And what nice means to me and what I think about is nice is everything is face value. So it's you you see somebody and you say, oh, your hair looks beautiful. I love your shirt. Those shoes are wonderful. That's all very nice in the moment. okay? so but it's very surface value. Being kind is you see your friend and you say, hey, you have spinach in your teeth and you need to go get a toothpick and take care of that. Or, hey, you've got toilet paper stuck to your shoe and you need to, to take care of that. Or let me help you take care of that.
0: You are that kind of a friend. You are that kind I of a friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, you'll never have to worry about what I'm thinking, because <laughs> I will tell you. Uh, but I think that what a lot of people think that they're being kind, but in reality, they're just being superficially nice. Oh. Um, and so we've, we've sugarcoated a lot of what, what's happening in the world, uh, because of those sort of differences. Uh, so I think the kindest thing that you can do for your animal is to give it a really strong foundation in training, structure, boundaries, yes. universal commands. Um, I have this happen quite often with uh, horse training and then some uh, helping other people out with their animals is they say, oh, well, I use this cue for that behavior and I'll explain to them, well, that's fine. You can do it that way. However, because Heidi and I have the benefit of knowing the end game a little bit better and having a bigger, broader picture is we actually want to use this particular word, or this particular body language for this cue, because it's going to build to something bigger, or you might use a cue that you're going to need for something bigger later. So whip placement when you're training a horse, um, verbal cues, even hand gestures. So for sit on a dog, I, I do a, a hand up like this. I just lift my hand um, and that's my sit cue. And then I turn over and that is down. Right. I don't know if that's the same for it's you. Fairly it's fairly
0: universal, I think. And yeah. the other reason is, again, if your pet doesn't live with you for their whole life or your horse, cause that's our wheelhouse, horses and dogs, you, they're going to be able to be worked by other people. My favorite Tommy, exactly. when I go to somebody's house and say, I don't know that they're going to do it for you. And I say, uh-huh. well, when you sent your child to school. Did you tell them they didn't have to listen to the teacher? That's a really dangerous place to be. So again, we're not trying to be judgmental. We're trying to to point out what we feel is kind of an open lane and missing information that, you know, be more open-minded with your training. And here's why, you know, I talked about kennels last week, why you absolutely need to use a kennel in your training program and in your world. So go back and check out episode two on that, but... That really well said, Tommy. I I think that kind, nice, I really like. Yeah.
1: I love that one. I I talk about that a lot when I teach clinics. I love Um, that. Because I have to be very critical when I'm teaching. I have to tell you all the things that are wrong. And I'm not being mean. Yeah. I'm being kind.
0: Kind, yeah.
1: Yeah. But people, when you start telling people what they're doing wrong, they get a little offended. Um, so you have to kind of clarify that a little.
0: A bit, great, you know. a great example of that are all these singing shows where the ho- the hosts or yes. the the judges, I guess, have to critique somebody and not put them through or something. Right? And they they they, you know, some are nice and some are kind. So it's a great example. Um,
1: yeah. If you if you think about the original American Idol, yeah, we had Paula Abdul who was just nice to everybody yeah but she had really not a whole lot of constructive things to say yeah she was very nice then you had Simon Cowell who was kind (laughs) of a jerk about things but he was kind in what he was saying yeah he would say you know you're not gonna make it yeah you don't have what it takes to make it to the end of this and then you had Randy in the middle that was kind of yeah the, the uncomfortable middle trying to be somewhat nice, but also be, uh, also very authentic.
0: And, yeah. Yes. And kind
1: Exactly.
0: I, yeah. I equate this years ago, I went to a life coach cause I thought I was going to change, change jobs and worlds. You know, I thought, you know, silly. Me. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I got something out of it, which was really cool. I had some homework to do real quickly. And it was, uh, point out the, the happiest people, you know, and I took this to heart and I decided happiness is episodic. And joy, uh, it was joyful, contented. And I think about that so often because that's exactly what people say about animals, especially yes. our exhibited animals or the New York Carriage Horses or my other podcast where we talk about, we get into those animals that people say they're not happy. Yeah, you know, define or, happy. Yeah, define happy. And to me, it's joy in in animals, I call it content. And I can. there's nothing greater than a content animal who's well-fed, well-exercised, stimulated mentally, lives in a, they don't have to live in a perfect environment, just having all of that. Um, I used to say about animals, you know, people would say, well, you can't keep this animal alone or do this with this animal. So if utopia is a white picket fence for people and families uh, in a suburb, right? Utopian suburb, white picket fence, swing set, the the mom, dad, and the children, right? What right. is grandma raising a child in a high rise in New York? Is that abusive? Yeah. Is that a problem? Or do they no. get, we adapt, so do animals. So that's, that's a whole nother podcast I'm going down.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can, we can deep dive into that. So let's, um,
0: let's move on to our next segment is uh, what we call pet peeves. And I let Tommy take this last week, so I'm up this week, and I'm excited (laughs) because I I don't want to say this sarcastically at all, but this is going to be our next podcast as well. So this is the teaser for next week. My pet peeve is is the slogan, adopt, don't shop. Oh, yes. This is deep. So again, I'm not, uh, there are a lot of reasons to help dogs that are in shelters or rescues but there's so much more to that story. So all I wanna do is bring forth the truth. And I I do know a lot of the truth on this. I'm not telling you I know everything, but I definitely, and I'm gonna give you some CDC, uh, Center for Disease Control and give you this little teaser that uh, over a hundred countries have been banned from importing animals to this country because of outbreaks of rabies and parvo and distemper that we don't see in this country. And most of those are imported into rescues and shelters. Mm. So you got to tune in next week. This is a huge topic. And again, it's never the animal's fault. We need to do what we can to take care of animals. But we need to stop creating scenarios that make it worse for animals. And people don't realize that's actually happening. So yeah, that's a short pet peeve, but it's a big topic that we're going to delve into next week.
1: Well, uh, along those those lines, it's again back to the connotation, denotation, uh, and when we talk about adopt, don't shop, you hear rescue, and oh, he's a rescue. Everything define rescue. Yeah. Did you get that dog out of a burning building? <laughs> did you? I'm sorry. Did you get it out sad. of a flooded plane? Like, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. You purchased a dog from a company that maybe rescues or maybe shelters or maybe does these right. things but
0: they sell but pets
1: exactly so that that one gets me is the oh he's a rescue
0: and by uh. the way i don't train those animals any different i actually find if i get right into the program and get their attention get in not in their face but get their attention get their brain they come along so quickly because they're Correct. lacking leadership and animals Structure, need-
1: boundaries, consistency. It.
0: So it, you can teach an old dog new tricks and do not let that animal wait and wait to get into the training program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of crossed over into a training tip. I took your area. <laughs> That's okay. Far be it for me to do that, Tommy. All right, your so turn. I do
1: have a trainer tip for this week. Let's and hear it, it. It actually feeds into that, that exact light.
0: Well, good. Of course uh, it does.
1: Of course so we talk about structure boundaries consistency all of that uh routine and repetition
0: oh yeah i just said that in my yeah
1: yeah we uh we train a lot of so heidi and i come from the show world uh have done a lot with entertainment we use repetition of routine to help reinforce certain behaviors yes and That's something that you can do with your pet at home. And I've done this with Jimmy Dean, my little Jack Russell Terrier. He has a routine of behaviors that if he's excited, if he's got a lot of energy, maybe I haven't been home all day and I've got to get him kind of worn out. um, I will actually have him go through his routine that gets him mentally stimulated more than just running out in the backyard by himself or me throwing a ball for him. Um, but I go through and I have him, uh, he sits, he lays down, he rolls over, he crawls. Uh, he has, he's mark trained. Wait a minute. I mean, he's a short
0: legged Jack Russell. So how can you tell what he's crawling?
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry. couldn't <resist>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's not give up our day jobs. I don't think we're exactly. going to make the comedy circuit.
1: Yeah. So he, he has his routine of behaviors. He has his marks that I send him to. So I have. Two chairs that he knows the difference between the two chairs. He knows to go to the couch. I'll send him to his kennel. And we have a routine of things that we do. And I use that when he's amped up and excited. Yes. And it gives him structure and boundaries and consistency. So he knows what to expect. And then it really settles him. It brings him, you know, a sense of calm and a sense of contentment. So some people might say he was happy.
0: Yeah,
1: that's that's my trainer tip is use a bit of a routine with repetition to help give your your dog some structure, boundary and consistency.
0: That's great. And let's talk another on another podcast then about because once you use the routine and the repetition, you kind of know when they've they've mastered it. First of all, they have to make the mistakes, but then when they start anticipating, that's Uh when you challenge your training program by mixing it up. So. We'll yeah, get into that a, a little bit more. On that. Yeah, that'll be fun. I just made a note that uh, we'll get into that in a future episode. So a lot good. of good stuff. Uh, Tommy, again, thank you so much for being a part of this. I, I believe we're um, providing some good information that I just don't find out there in uh, terms that, or in a manner that I can take it in. So I'm hopeful that's what we're doing, providing a public service here and having fun at the same time. So thank you. Thank you for being on, Tommy. Much appreciated.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. And I hope uh, our listeners will join us next time for some doggone good information.